Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties 2. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I love dogs and cats and the people who care about them. Every week I talk with authors and experts to expand our understanding and appreciation of the animals who share our lives. To hear earlier episodes of this show and download podcasts of other Pet Talk Radio shows I co-host with top veterinarians and experts, please go to RadioPetLady.com. If you want to stay in the know when it comes to doing what's best for your pets, follow me on Facebook and Twitter. You'll find me at Tracy Hotchner. That's Tracy with an I-E. Have a pet-related question or comment? Post it on my page or tweet me. Dog Talk is a production of Pet Media Inc., which is solely responsible for its content. I also produce the philanthropic New York Dog Film Festival, sponsored by the Petco Foundation, which travels the country, celebrating the love between dogs and their people while benefiting local animal shelters that bring them together. There's also a new on-demand collection of dog-themed films you can download onto any device. And the third annual Dog Film Festival will be December 10th in New York City. More information is at dogfilmfestival.com. This show is brought to you with the generous support of Waruva, a family-owned pet food company whose owners want to feed their own pets and yours with ingredients that are good enough for people to eat, using the same care, ingredients, and facilities where they make food for humans. Named after their rescued kitties, W.E. for Webster, R.U. for Rudy, and V.A. for Vanessa, they are passionate about good nutrition. Their caloric harmony dry food for dogs is formulated on the principle of how the body actually metabolizes food and the quality of the protein. Waruva's canned food for cats come in endless varieties to satisfy even the fussiest felines. You'll find Waruva wherever fine natural pet foods are sold. I am here with a really interesting mixed bag of topics today. First time to be talking to Kristen Rice, who's the head of Adopt-A-Dog, about this huge 30th anniversary of putting on the dog in Greenwich. And then Dr. Andrew Root will be here. He's a seminarian trained in Princeton, his book, The Grace of Dogs, talks about whether dogs have souls and how does how do the churches think about that? And Karen Miller-Becknell will be here. She's a Cats Mobile Clinic doctor in New Orleans, kitties only, but she's got a wonderful nonprofit called Arts for Cats Sake, raising money for really good cat causes. So all kinds of good things going on. Hey, Kristen, welcome to the show. Hey, Tracy. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited uh, very, very excited to participate. Well, I'm very excited to be participating and putting on the dog. You've got me coming all the way down to Westchester. Boy, that's like way <laughs> out of my zip code, Kristen. I wouldn't be doing this. <laughs> Actually, even further, I, I've got you going through Westchester to get to Fairfield County because we're right, uh, right in Greenwich. We're at, it's at Roger Sherman Baldwin Park. It's right on the water. Oh, it's, that's uh, right. Now, tell everyone the date and the times because I think it's like tomorrow, uh, September, uh, what is it, the 24th? It is Sunday, September 17th. It's 10 a.m. to 4.30 p.m., and it's going to be the best show we've ever had. This is the 30th anniversary. We're going all out. you got to come. If you love animals, this is absolutely the place to be. Well, I have no choice. I'm judging something. What am I doing? Absolutely. Why, why um, am I doing this? I mean, I know that I really love Adopt-A-Dog, and you guys do an incredible job and, and have placed, I don't know how many thousands of, of animals in your small, you know, not some gigantic shelter. You do such a great job. But why am I coming? Remind us all. So so because of how incredible you are and, and all of your work to be able to bring awareness to just, you know, all the different aspects of owning a pet, you're going to be coming as one of our um, celebrity guest judges. 
And um, historically, our show was founded um, our, our, about 30 years ago. They held um, competition classes for people to enter their dogs into. So there's Age to Perfection, which is senior dog. There's oh, Mighty nice. Mice, which are dogs, um, you know, over a year old, under 15 pounds. There's Who Saved Who. There's Best Tail Wagger. We're going to be having you judge one of those classes tomorrow. Oh, my goodness. So I, I think I would recommend to anyone if you, you know, you or your dog is dressed in pink, given that's my predilection, that I'll probably, <laughs> you'll probably win. I'm just giving them a little, like, secret tip-off. You know, the thing that is really cool to me is that you're running Adopt-A-Dog. Can you talk a little bit about your personal career arc and being the director of this really long-established, very successful, very committed small rescue that has survived for a long time, thrived and survived, which in itself is kind of amazing. But I I feel as if it's people like you that have made that possible. So talk a little bit about how you began and where you are now. Um, yeah, no, this is, uh, this is my dream job. Um, I actually started at Adopt-A-Dog a little over 14 years ago. I had needed a job on weekends. And so I started as a part-time kennel worker and, um, you know, up until that point, you know, I had a family dog, but I really wasn't very educated about animal welfare. Um, you know, I'm 36 years old now. I was, I was 22 when I started here. So I still was trying to find direction in life. And um, I started working here and I just fell in love with the animals. And uh, eventually I evolved and I became a full-time kennel worker. Um, I became more involved. I, I, I participated in adoptions. Um, eventually I got to a point, um, where, you know, I, I have a love of medicine and I had a love of animals. So I went back to school. I got my bachelor's degree and I'm a licensed vet tech. Wow. Um, I didn't even know that. Congratulations. (laughs) That's not a small deal. I mean, I've actually had a show a couple of years ago with someone who ran a college, I believe down in Florida that, you know, accredited vet techs and many vet offices don't use accredited vet techs. I mean, getting accreditation is, is a big deal. Yeah, it was um, it was hard because I basically um, at that by that point I was the manager um, at Adopt a Dog. I was the shelter manager, so I was doing forty plus hours a week. Um, I mean, I definitely forty plus, but I was also in school. And uh, I remember my last semester in school was um, that was pretty grueling. I, I did you know my my hours with Adopt a Dog, but I was externing at a, a specialty hospital for about. Uh, 25 hours a week, and I was still taking classes. And uh, I remember um, that my goal originally to go back to school to become a vet tech was because I could then help the animals in the shelter. um, And obviously just as a on a volunteer basis, because one of the biggest needs back then, and it's still the case now, I'm much more aware is, you know, the medical costs and being able to provide these animals. And it it clicked in my head that, okay, just because they're homeless doesn't mean that they shouldn't get the best medical care. And uh, so for me, it was, you know, I went back to school. And and when I graduated, I I had a crossroads because I was, you know, offered a job to work at a a vet's office that was a specialty hospital, an emergency hospital, or um, stick with Adopt-A-Dog and continue being the manager. And I remember trying to do both. But um, Adopt-A-Dog changed my life. When I started as that part-time kennel worker, I just felt that this was what I was born to do. And um, I had such a passion and a, a respect and a devotion to the work that was started prior to even me being at the shelter um, that I chose to stay on as the manager. And then eventually um, the opportunity came for me to apply to be the executive director. And uh, it was um, probably one of the best days of my life when our, our board chair, he called me and said, yep, you got it. You know, I was terrified going through the interviews. I thought to myself, man, I've I've only worked as a manager. I'm a tech. Am I, is it going to be possible for me to be an executive director? And 
I'm so grateful for all the resources that were made available to me. And this is just a different way for me to continue, you know, carrying out that mission. And um, it saves my life, you know, in the sense that um, I have a job that I'm passionate about. It gives me meaning. I feel accomplished. I get to meet amazing people. And most of all, the best thing I feel is that that, that unconditional love from the dogs. Um, you know, I, I have my own office here now, but it's one of the requirements. I said, I need a dog in my office. I need to have a dog. <laughs> In my office, because if I don't, then, uh, you know, I need, I, I always will, like, throughout my week, I will take, you know, an hour, and I, I always will make an effort to go and spend time with the dog, so that, because um, that's my roots, and that's my motivation for, for what we're currently doing. Um, it's, it's very, I love it. It's really, it's so moving, um, Kristen, because I, I don't think that your situation is unusual for people who begin work with animals that need rescuing and the feeling of satisfaction and the full circle of all the hours and all the effort. And it always feels rewarding. I do think that going from someone who shovels poo to being the head of a really successful shelter is like the old fashioned American dream. You start, I mean, there's a lot of very big mockers in Hollywood who started in the William Morris mailroom. By the way, yeah. that is not that different than shoveling poo because it's really no fun. <laughs> it's like grunt work. They had like, you know, like a business degree from Yale and an undergraduate degree from Harvard. And they are sorting mail and delivering it to people's offices. For all I know, there yep. is no mailroom anymore because there's no more mail anymore. But yeah. I think that this story is and then those people wind up being somebody important in the movie business. And I don't have a sense that they have that feeling you have at the end of a long, hard week that you really changed a lot of lives on both ends of the leash. So yeah. I, I, I would really love that your experience and your description of it inspire other people, especially younger people. There's so few things that seem open to, for one to do in today's society that make you feel valued and like you matter. Don't, don't you think it's a pretty rare place to be? And oh, I'm at I'm, Absolutely. I'm, I'm incredibly blessed. I mean, if you asked me 14 years ago, would I be in this situation? I mean, I really had, um, you know, all I knew was that I, I was accustomed to living paycheck to paycheck cause, and I'm fine with that. I'm a very, I live very simply, but, um, I remember somebody had said to me, do what you love. And if you can get a paycheck for it, even better, because nice. you're going to spend more time at your job than you're going to spend anywhere else. And for me, I would say, like, I was 22 years old. I still had really no, I mean, I had, I had some college behind me. But um, if you find your passion and, and you can give yourself that sense of accomplishment that at the end of a day's work, that you did something that has a positive impact on, on people, on animals, um, it makes your life just even that more beautiful. Um, for me, it's just that's what drives me is that th this work, um, and it's, uh, it's a blessing. to. F it's almost like I fell into it. Um, and of course, throughout over the years, there's always doubt. And, and can I do this? And uh, because it wasn't, you know, it was always consistently changing. But being able to be a part of an organization that has the longevity that it does and the backers that it does, our donors and our adopters and these people that we're all in this together. And uh, it's amazing to be able at, to be to be leading that. Um, but also at the same time, I feel I'm very much a part of a team of people. Um, we all are doing this together. I've learned that with animal welfare, this this work takes a lot of people involved, even just to save one dog. So if you're young or even if you're not young, it doesn't matter. I mean, that's like right. Five year increment. That's you right. You can always change your career. You can always change your path. Um, 
But I always tell people, even when we have high school interns, I said, do what you love. If you can find something and get paid for it and do it. And that was the advice I was given. And um, I'm so grateful for it because it's, uh, you know, it's, um, I feel a part of, of something very special out of Adopt-A-Dog. And, and I guess, very, you know, I'm very proud of that. And, and, you, and, I, and you very well should be. I think that, that one of the things that's amazing about work in rescue is that it really does feel like it adds up to something. You know, there's that sort of sense of people on a treadmill and rushing and they need to make more money and they need more status and they're doing some job that's a grind and they don't feel valued and they don't feel like what they're doing really matters. Or maybe they even have some moral quandaries about it, whether they're a legal secretary or, you know, they have a law degree or even in the medical field. So many things are gray areas and you always feel that you're somehow not quite being the person you want to be and mm. you know when the when the day of reckoning comes whether it's when you're 50 and you say I can't take this anymore I'm going to go you know like open a dairy yeah. farm or something or you're <laughs> on your deathbed you know what it what is it what is it added up to do you think that really the checklist is wow I really rocked those emails or that lawsuit or something whereas you can count and remember all the animals that came through your life, through your hands, through your heart, and then you knew the people who adopted and then they came back. And I mean, putting on the dog, don't a lot of the adopted dog adopters come back and strut their stuff with their dogs? Yeah, that's my, um, you know, honestly, ever since I've attended um, putting on the dog, it's our defining event. Um, You know, when I became the director, it was a different take. And I met a lot of people uh, from Greenwich and a lot of people just only know us from putting on the dog. And I remember like years ago, um, probably maybe seven or eight years ago, we we implemented one of the competition rings. I mean, maybe we'll have you judge this one um, was adopt a dog alumni because we started seeing that there were so many people who marked their calendars to say, hey, I'm going to bring my alumni, my my adopted dog back. And, you know, it fills my heart. Um, It fills the staff's heart. It fills volunteers. Yes. Yes. And I remember, you know, even. Last year, I know I spent a lot of time on stage, but there were still adopters from back when I was doing adoptions and I was the manager or even when I was a kennel worker, yes. not even involved in adoptions, that people bring their dogs to put on the dog. They remember me. I remember them. And boy, do I remember that dog and the satisfaction and being able to see, wow, this dog has had like the best life and just the impact. Um because that's also incredible, too, is that, you know, one dog changes. It's a ripple effect in a family. Absolutely. And those families come, and they wait for putting on the dog. They love putting on the dog because that's when people get to come. We celebrate the animals. And I know usually I'll try and stop anything I'm doing to rush over to the alumni ring when that competition goes on because I love to see all of our guys that are, are living in homes and talk to their adopters. I mean, these people are amazing. They're saving lives. And to them, they're thanking us. And it's just that mutual gratitude that causes that bond. And, and that's something that's really incredible. Like if, if you experience that, it's, it's another one of those, those um, parts of animal rescue that keeps you going um, is the knowledge that, you know what, we're, we're in, the, we're working together, but I mean, POD, like putting on the dog, our defining event and it's incredible how far it's come our our founder donna knives and how they used to do it i mean i found you know they used to send out in, an index card that they put a stamp on and a save oh, it and wrote in, in pen to save the date um these women and men from from you know decades ago they boy did they put in the blood sweat and tears i mean nowadays we have social media and and, and digital media but um, they believed so strongly in what they were doing. They were p- 
pioneers in animal rescue. They were visionaries 36 years ago because nobody was doing what they were doing. That's and, absolutely uh, right. It was a very, very long time ago, the 30 years and how things have changed. I mean, and just in terms yeah. of how dogs in society are viewed and how you handle the ones that don't seem to belong to anybody. And yet the need for what you're doing grows even in communities where there has been the finances and the education to take care right. of feral cats communities and get all the dogs spayed and neutered. There's still enormous need because you're coming from other areas. And there's there's many other aspects of it that, that still need to be addressed. I think that as, as those of us that have gotten dogs through adoption, it's there is often when you're loving that dog and life has gone on and you think I can't, you always think I can't believe anybody didn't want this dog like fully. <laughs> and then you think, I wish they could see him now. And you're thinking of the people like you that were there on the ground with that dog and you cared and you believed and you hoped you really want to come back and say, thank you. Cause every minute you spent with that dog, hoping and praying and keeping your paws crossed, it would get a good home. Mm -hmm. You know, you really, I, it, I drove, I don't know. 12 hours or something to Virginia Beach to the this guy that did wine rescue to get Maisie and mm. drove her back. She was immediately the most perfect dog of my entire life. And so many days go by and I think, Dan Stallings, I want to tell you, that's a great dog. Thank you for the months that you, you know, put her up at your place and waited for the right person to come along. You really, there is a desire to tell the people in the rescue and you'd always have the opportunity. So putting on the dog lets everyone there do that to say, thank you, job well done. And we're carrying the flag, but you're, you're the one who made it possible. The shelter workers are so um, not always undervalued, but sometimes kind of invisible. Oh, no. They are. I, I, um, I, I, my experience as, as a kennel worker, and, and often, you know, now there's, uh, we have coordinators in place that manage our volunteer program, our marketing program, the shelter manager, and then there's the kennel staff. And my experience as a kennel staff, uh, way back when, um, it is, it's looked at as grunt work. It looks, it's yeah. looked at as kind of like it's looked down on. And, um, for us at Adopted Dog, we provide our, our kennel staff, not just with, okay, hey, you're going to just be, because for me, I remember I would clean kennels, but I wanted to do more to help the animals right. in my care, and right. I just didn't know. So we have a very um, thorough program, uh, training program for our kennel nice. staff so that they nice. can learn what they can do to make the dogs more adoptable, to help preserve their quality of life. And I often say, um, I, when we, there is a whole, an entire staff meeting with kennel staff and coordinators, I could raise $10 million, but that doesn't matter unless I have, we have our staff in place yep. that we yep. know um, are going to take the best care possible of these animals. I tell them all the time, you guys are the most important people in this organization, because if you were not there on the ground every day, holidays, weekends, right. missing out on family time, missing out yep. on birthdays, missing out, yep. they're the ones that are there until, uh, until late at night. And I said, you guys bring the meaning to this work. If it was, you're the first connection that these animals have with hope and with a human being that's kind and compassionate yep. and loving. And, um, you know, that's why in my mind, as, as far as that experience, I remember it. You know, you're a kennel worker. People look down on that. They think, yes. oh, you just, you know, you shovel poop and that's it. That's right. But, um, but again, um, we, we at, uh, because of that experience I had, it's, it's been more or less, you know, our manager now and, and our staff are valued. Um, we could not do this without our staff and without the support of, um, you know, donors and adopters. And as I put, put on the dog, again, um, 
I, I don't know where it came from, but what somebody had once said, it's, you know, celebrating the pets and people who love them. And that's all of us. Um, like you mentioned, it's uh, these, the, the staff are on the ground. I mean, I, I, in the past two years and one month of being the director, I sneak in uh, to get uh, some <laughs> kennel work. Um, you know, I get my vet tech fix in every, every once in a while uh, when we have a new group of dogs and they need, you know, some, some blood work done or something yes, like that. Yes. Well, and, you're, you're, uh, I, you're certainly living proof of how important that whole arc is and, and the value of yeah. it. I think it's just really important that we all are mindful of that. The, uh, the on-demand collection of the Dog Film Festival that's now online at the on the website of the Dog Film Festival, which allows people to download brand new collections of dog-centric films, not the ones seen in theaters, and, and rescues like Adopt-A-Dog have a way to raise money for themselves by getting a lot of their members to do the downloads. But what I just want to say in closing is there's a beautiful little PSA about Michelson Found Animals, which is the mm. national beneficiary nonprofit of the on-demand yeah. collections. And they do a national free microchip registry for everyone. I've said this a million times on the show. Go to foundanimals.org and register your chip because it's free and they can, you can update it and any chip is fine. And they also provide scanners and high quality chips to, to shelters. But this PSA, Kristen, you're going to love it. It's all about celebrating the kennel workers. And it's so touching. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, my God. It's so great. It's <laughs> going to make you cry. The number of meals you've missed, the amount of poop you've picked up, the amount of scratches you've dealt with, and all because yeah. you care. It's just, it's a, it's a real love letter to shelter workers. So it's a great thing. That's incredible. I can't wait to see you tomorrow. I'll have on pink, of course. And okay. I can't wait. I can't wait to see some of these these dogs in their new lives. Thank you so much for for doing it, for being there, and for having had this wonderful life that celebrates everybody. And uh, you are very welcome. And thank you so much for everything that you do for the animals. You're part of this, and and uh, it's an awesome relationship. And I honestly am very excited to see you tomorrow. Me too. You take care. Bye bye. I'll be right back after this quick word with Dr. Andrew Root and the Grace of Dogs. This show is brought to you by Halo Holistic and Humane Natural Dog and Cat Foods, which are made with only whole meats, never with rendered chicken meal or byproduct meal. There are new formulations at Halo which reflect whole, holistic, and humane practices. Halo says no to factory farming, growth hormones, antibiotics, artificial flavors, coloring, or preservatives in their foods, and sources cage-free poultry, pasture-raised beef, and wild-caught fish. The new Halo has no GMO vegetables. All fruits and vegetables are sourced from farmland that prohibits the use of genetically modified seeds. What's new about Halo will matter to you, farm animals, and the planet. I am back with Dr. Andrew Root, who is someone I cannot wait to talk to, an intellectual about religion and an intellectual about dogs, their souls, and so forth and so on. What a cool conversation. This is going to be the grace of dogs, a boy, a black lab, and a father's search for the canine soul. Andrew, welcome to the show. You are kind of like a really cool guy. Can I just say that? <laughs> I don't know if it's true, but you can sure say it. I can say it. Here you are. You graduate from Princeton Theological Seminary, so you're like an intellectual, let's be clear, right? You <laughs> I teach guess, yes. at the Luther Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota. Your wife is a Presbyterian minister. This is a family steeped in kind of intellectual spiritualism. And... You have your kids, Owen and Maisie. My dog's name is Maisie, too. Uh, your children's names are Owen and Maisie, sorry, and your dog, Khaleesi. 
Yeah. And Owen's experience with the death of your black lab Kirby is seems to be what set you on a path of exploring sort of both theologically, historically, and then just very personally about the spiritual ties between man and dog. The book is really, really interesting. I thought, well, this could be a little dry, but it's so far from dry because you have being an intellectual, a sense of history and all of the great minds that have been around looking at dogs and relationships and society for a long time. And then you bring to it your own very powerful view of what is spirituality. So what has the reaction to the dog been, to the dog book been? Have people in your field, some of the anecdotes that you write about, they're like, yeah, sure, Andrew, uh-huh. Yeah, the, the well, the reaction since it's been out has been very positive. I think uh, it was, it's kind of a, like a closeted um, conversation in some ways that as I was working on it, I was always, as I said in the book, kind of embarrassed to talk yes. about it. Yes. As colleagues were talking about atonement theories or yes. <laughs> um, authors of biblical, you know, biblical books or something, and I'm writing about my dog. Um, so... That was always felt a little odd, but when you start talking about it and, and the the human connection and what dogs, I think, and I'm arguing in this book, do for us as human beings and, and reflect our, our humanity, I would have all sorts of theologians and other intellectuals saying, oh, yeah, 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 my dog is really important to me, or I sing yeah. to my dog every morning, or, <laughs> um, you know, my most important time is when I take my dog out for a walk. That's when I think about my next big idea. So it's been really positive, but it, the initial kind of this is what I'm doing, um, I was looked at a little sideways, but it just took a few sentences of explaining what I think is at stake here to, to kind of open that up and to actually lead people to confess their deep experience with, with their dogs and particularly the loss of dogs. I mean, the stories I would hear of, of how hard it was for people to, to lose a dog was really, um, has been really beautiful and sad. And that was what triggered your whole intellectual and emotional exploration into this was your little boy's handling of Kirby's death, which was somewhat sacramental. And then you explained that ever since you'd baptized him, you did a little, a little whatever, a religious uh, ritual with him every night. And then he did that with Kirby when he died. And, and that was really interesting to me because while you're obviously very spiritual, deeply spiritual and believing. There's also something so intellectual, that, like we sort of think of the Jesuits, and now I think of the Lutherans, that it, it seems interesting to me that you can hold both those things at one time. A lot of intellectual inquiry and of understanding of history and of science, and yet this belief in the importance of sacrament and rituals. That was what triggered this for you, right? Yeah, that's exactly it. The the real almost the the wave of pain and grief when we lost this dog. I mean, we loved this dog named Kirby. I got him um just weeks after I started my, my PhD program at Princeton. Um, and he had been with us through those formative days and then through the birth of our children and actually really had become best friends with my kids. Um, he slept at Owen's bed every night and my kids really, well, they didn't know a day with, without this dog and, and loving this dog and this dog, part of their, their games and many of their, their, their first words, their first couple words were um, directed at this dog. So when we got news that he had a mass in his stomach and that this would be the end. Um, it was, it was incredibly sad. And so, uh, my wife had actually taken Kirby to the vet 
and we had a little debate on if he needed to really go. He had been lethargic and laying in places he normally didn't lay. Um, so she took him thinking that he would uh, just need a pill or some checkup. He needed to be back in the backyard chasing the tennis ball. Yep. But just within minutes, the vet said, no, I'm sorry. There's a, a huge mass in his stomach and he can't be moved. So she went and got um, uh, me and Owen and Maisie. Maisie was five at the time and Owen was eight. And when we went to see Kirby and he was now laying on the linoleum floor, of the of the check of the of the of the, the the room where they were examining him, and his leg was already shaved to receive the injection. My kids just threw themselves on this dog and cried and cried and cried and cried. Um, and then the vet came in and did the injection. And somewhere deep, Owen got this strength, and he put his he laid on the floor and put his nose next to Kirby's nose and said, "The last thing I'm, that Kirby's going to see is my face." And then you could just see the life in this dog that we Whoa. loved leave. And the kids' tears just came, and our tears came, and now the dog's snout was just sopping wet with their tears. And I was just amazed at the grief that I felt, the anger um, at God, at the universe, at this thing that I loved. And it wasn't a thing. It was something deeper than that um, had, had left and been gone. Well, you you'd mentioned that right in the middle of this, uh, Owen stands up and says, I'll be right back, goes out into the lobby, comes back with a Dixie cup full of water, and completely out of his own volition, but mirroring these practices that we'd done with him at bedtime. He went over to Kirby, put his finger into the Dixie cup of water, made the sign of the cross on the dog's head, and then lifted his hands to heaven like a priest at the table, giving this dog back to God. Mm-hmm. And so the book really is, why did that feel right? So it is an intellectual mm-hmm. journey, but it's also a real emotional journey of, of why do these these animals, these dogs particularly mean so much to us and what do they do for us and why does it feel like a holy act, sacramental in many ways, that there's a, yes. a deep kind of sacramental relationship here that we needed to reflect back and give a ritual to. And so that's really the journey of the book to see is that, is it so? Is, that, is there something sacred about these relationships we have with these animals? And, uh, and yes, yeah, spoiler alert, I say that there really is. Yes. And, and in reading it, I think it validates those of us who also may have felt or feel foolish to think we are overvaluing that relationship or connection. You know, only recently has society even allowed us to have grief or grief counseling over the death of a dog, much less a mindfulness and a and a celebration of that relationship in life and the depth of it. And 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 the sort of the essence of of what you explore in the book is whether it's two ways, the spiritual ties between man and dog. And and you ask it in such an interesting way because you start with scientists. You go from Conrad Lorenz with his ducks and then Descartes and then Pavlov with his, oh no, they just react to a stimulus. And then you get into Brian Hare, who's been on the show a couple of times, who became the canine cognition lab guy at Duke, right? But early on, he was asking, is there a communication? Are they figuring things out? Are they reading us? And I think that this whole exploration isn't just on that sort of highfalutin level. It's what is happening every day. And are we are we recognizing it? Are we respecting it? We shouldn't poo-poo it. You know, like so many things, it's like, ah, oh, nah, that can't really be happening, or I'm just being silly. And I think your book really gives gravitas to it and says it's so real and it matters and it matters to the dog, too, which I think is a big part of this, because that would necessarily be something that a minister or a theologian would be looking at. Right. Yeah, that's right. And and I'm a big fan of Hare's work and um, kind of building off that is just 
exactly what you're saying. I mean, it, it is quite an amazing thing that we often overlook how in tune to our faces dogs actually yes. are. Yes. And how And what communication does. So I'm trying to kind of delve into the wells of particularly the Christian and Jewish traditions of how important the face is and how important interconnection and yes. connection is. And if there mm-hmm. is something sacramental, it has to do with this kind of interconnection, this, this bond between that communicates something that, that leads one thing into another in a, in a deep kind of relational way. And um, I just think that there's a way that dogs really do that. Uh, it's just, an, and it's an amazing animal that can understand so much of our language that looks at our faces that desires to be with us in that way. And, and I just think those are really, oh, I don't know. Those are currents. Those are, um, that's a frequency yes. that I think touches the spiritual that we just shouldn't overlook. And, you know, since writing this book, just walking through my neighborhood and seeing people with their dogs, you just see this incredible bond and the, just the, the ability of the dog to look in our face and what that does to us human beings um, is just really quite remarkable. And I think there is a way that dogs have a ministry of reminding us that we are human beings, that we are these human beings and, and beautifully made human beings. And, uh, and I, so I, I think that they actually have a kind of a, a mission, a ministry to remind us of our humanity and remind us that we are beautifully and wonderfully made. Um, and they just really do want to be with us in that way, I think. I mean, you say that so, so eloquently and poetically, I, I think many of us have many missed moments in our lives and we have them with other people and we definitely have them with our dogs. And I'm wondering and hoping that your book, The Grace of Dogs, makes people more tuned into the two way aspect of it and the fact that that dog is really trying to read you and give you back something. And not to think, oh, you're in my way. Why are you annoying me? I mean, I have Weimar honors. Weimar honors, like every cell in their body is about, how are we doing? Are we all good? Are you with me? What are you doing now? And I love it. And then when times when I'm rushing about and too busy, I'm like, girls, give me some space here. Instead of going, wow, thank you so much for looking at me and standing there and licking me, which I hate because you want me to like chill or slow down or tell you what's going on. I think a lot of people have that with their children, with their coworkers, with their spouses and with their dogs where they just are not being mindful of of this connectivity. As you say that our humanity matters, but we have to acknowledge it. We can't just be blowing past it all the time. Your book made me feel very, connected and in tune to these feelings, but also feeling like, ugh, we kind of waste some of them. Whereas your son and most children don't, they're so committed to the moment, right? I mean, there's just that, that quality of childhood, not every kid, but obviously your boy for sure. No, yeah, that's that's true, and that's why um, we titled the book "The Grace of Dogs" because there's yes. exactly what you're saying. There's something about grace here because a dog, for whatever reason, cognitive ability or just the beautiful way that they're made, they don't care how much money you have in your bank account. They don't care what that number looks like on the scale, or how many degrees you have, or how many books you've read, um, or how many books you've written. They just <laughs> think you're great, uh, and it's a grace. It's a real grace, particularly yes, in our Western world at this time. We need that that kind of grace where someone just wants to be with us because they think that we're worth loving and that dogs do that for us and and we shouldn't you know, we shouldn't overlook this that we have this incredible gift in these um, wonderful toilet drinkers in our house that actually <laughs> communicate back to us that we are um, that we are enough and that God that God embraces us as enough 
And what about forgiveness? Hello. Mm. What about the greatest forgivers of all time? I mean, they oh, just, yeah. you know, you're crabby or you're like, just like ignoring them, whether it's for a day or an hour or two minutes. And they're like, it's fine. I'm still here. Still love you. What do you want to do now? It, there's always forgiveness. There's nothing you can do where they're like pouting or resentful or like, oh, the scales are imbalanced now. I'm not giving it to you until you give back to me, which is sort of unfortunately the human relationship, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the, the dog does not uh, kind of hold things against you a couple weeks later to remind you of the ways that you failed them. Yeah, but they, really. They just yeah. like, let's just let's keep living. All right. Yeah, that was yeah. a bad moment, but let's yeah. just keep going. Just take me for a walk. Let's just you know let me show you comfort. Let's just keep living. And there's something really beautiful about that. Well, it's it's very exciting to hear it from someone who has spent his life having very deep profound thoughts both in your ministry and in your education and with other spiritual leaders to consider all the ways in which we can have a better life and be better humans and take better advantage of our time on earth and i think that this book is just such a wonderful way to remind us that the four leggeds all around us are a great conduit to that and and for their sake as well not just selfishly for us they're not really guide dogs to our souls although they are that as well but we also allow them to become their best self and i think that's something your book really talks about it is not a one-sided relationship yeah that's right that there is really a two-way street here and and mm-hmm. lorenz who you had mentioned had had said that i mean he, he insinuated that, that there was some kind of connection between people and their dogs that was spiritual and uh and then he just left it at that and so what i'm trying to do is uh, try to kind of pull that out, tease that out, and why would that be? And I do really think that we can say that our dogs love us, and that love always has some, no matter what kind of tradition you're, you're in, or no tradition, there's a sense that love has some kind of spiritual overtones to it. There's something more than just material in that. Yes. Um, there's something deep. And um, I think that we can say that dogs really love us, and, uh, and that, we shouldn't, that we really should embrace that as an incredible gift. Well, so then here's like the killer wrap-it-up question. So you're a Lutheran. Now, I don't know why you're a Lutheran. Maybe you were born one, and once you get born one, you just are one. But you're so funny at one point in the book talking about how your particular Calvinist style of religion is pretty severe and far from touchy-feely, and you're actually referred to as the frozen chosen, which I think (laughs) is like the funniest thing I've ever heard. But that's not who you are as a man or as a as a thinker or as a father or as an animal owner lover. I mean, how how do you how do you deal with that juxtaposition if Lutherans are rather severe and, you know, frowning at, at things? Yeah, well, yeah, I live in these kind of traditions right after the Reformation. So both Lutheran and then um, kind of Reformed Presbyterian with my wife as a Presbyterian pastor. And we are known to be more kind of intellectualized and to have this kind of dire sense that something is wrong and something is wrong in the world (laughs) and something is wrong within us. And I do think that... and I do think that there's something that plays kind of true with this too, that there, there are ways that we, that we need others, that, that we need something else, that we need someone to kind of stand beside us. Yes. But that yes. has been – and I think dogs can do that for us and, and can reflect that. I think that has sometimes been overplayed to have this kind of dire sense and to be kind of intellectualized. And so I'm try, the kind of work that I'm trying to do, intellectual work I'm trying to do, is, is start from those feelings like in that vet's office where – this dog who you've cared for for 11 years is is 
is euthanized what's going on here why mm-hmm. does this feel mm-hmm. so so deeply and and where is god in the, in the midst of that and i think even these kind of dire traditions have some real resources for us to, to gather from those but we do have to kind of go back to experience and in those deep experiences and if there's anything that people experience in particularly our cultural time is their love and their loss of their dog and it seems like a really valuable thing to talk about so um yeah i guess maybe i'm trying to bring some some humor and some levity to uh, a, a kind of dire tradition. Um, I think but, it's fantastic. Yeah, but Luther himself loved his dog, so uh, <laughs> um, maybe if he wasn't have fighting the war he was fighting, he would he would have written more about his own dog. Well, you've done it for him and for all of us. It's just a wonderful book, Andrew, and and I think people will come away with it from it with much more than than they go in expecting. I I, I most certainly did, and I intend to to dip back into it. and And it's one of those books I feel like I could flip it open all kinds of places and have some some interesting revelation pop out at me. The uh, the born and bred atheist daughter of an atheist who was actually herself raised as a Scottish Presbyterian. So. Fits right into that Calvinist uh, stiff upper lip, keep your chin up kind of tradition. <laughs> Lovely talking to you. Look forward to whatever else you have to say or write about dogs or perhaps anything else. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. We'll be right back after this quick word with Dr. Karen Miller Becknell and Arts for Cat's Sake. This show is made possible in part by Precious Cat Litter, owned by Dr. Elsie, who has his own cats-only clinic in Colorado. He has devoted his life to inventing innovative litters for the health of all members of the family. Now he has created healthy, dry, and canned food for kitties called Clean Protein, inspired by the protein levels found in a cat's natural prey. 90% of the protein in Clean Protein Kibble and cans is animal-based, not the plant-based ingredients in most dry cat food like grains, potato, vegetables, and fruits. All of those are high in oxalate and lead to rapid metabolization, which actually increases your cat's hunger. The high biological value proteins in Clean Protein result in your cat's appetite being satisfied longer without compromising her health. If you want to feed dry food to your cat even as part of her diet, Make the healthier choice. The proof is in the protein. And Dr. Elsie's Precious Cat Litter is the founding sponsor of the New York Cat Film Festival, which debuts in New York City on December 9th. Before I go get Dr. Miller Becknell, I I just want to read you this. uh, This conversation with Andrew Root really stirred up this marvelous poem that was in the Sunday New York Times in July. And it had poems and with it some great photographic images. And this conversation about God and dogs and the universe is just, it's a, I have to read you this poem by Ada Limon, and it's called What It Looks Like to Us and the Words We Use. All these great barns out here in the outskirts, black creosote boards knee-deep in the bluegrass, they look so beautifully abandoned, even in use. You say they look like arcs after the seas dried up. I say they look like pirate ships. And I think of that walk in the valley where Jay said, you don't believe in God? And I said, no, I believe in this connection we all have to nature, to each other, to the universe. And she said, yeah, God. And how we stood there, low beasts among the white oaks, Spanish moss and spider webs, obsidian shards stuck in our pockets, woodpecker flurry, and I refused to call it so. So instead, we looked up at the unruly sky, its clouds in simple animal shapes we could name, though we knew they were really just clouds, disorderly and marvelous, and ours. 
So having offered you guys that, because it's just been in my head for so long, I am back with Karen Miller-Becknell and Arts for Cat's Sake. She has a wonderful kitty-only veterinary practice in New Orleans called catsmobileclinic.com, but she wants to talk about Arts for Cat's Sake. Dr. Karen, thanks so much for taking time to be with us. Oh, thank you, Tracy, for allowing us to do this, because that was my big thing. I got to thinking about it as I got older. I've been practicing for 46 years in veterinary medicine, and I realized one day that I was treating the same diseases that I'd been treating when I first started out in medicine. I was still continuing to treat those diseases without some of them having really good treatments or cures. So my husband and I decided we would set up this nonprofit and try to put our mission to raise money to help find cures for some of these feline diseases and uh, by raising money through art and jewelry sales. Well, and I so think that's it's, what we do. It's, it's, a, it's very near and dear to my heart and to Dr. Elizabeth Hodgkins, who's been my co-host on Cat Chat for many years, addressing issues. And I'm guessing you're thinking diabetes and kidney disease, just like for openers in the kitty world that have not been not been addressed correctly the thought process has not evolved and therefore the problems remain and may even become more stubborn are those the two that that most frustrate you as a feline only vet and actually those we at least feel in many cases we have something to offer the client in a way to manage the disease quite well in many cases and even do treatment but as far as things like squamous cell carcinoma which is an awful oral cancer. Yes. Sometimes yes. it will appear on the ears and the skin, but oftentimes in the mouth. Yes. And we really, I, I just dread that disease as a diagnosis because I have no way to really help this client. I can give them things for pain and discomfort and counsel them, but I cannot really offer them any kind of cure. And the other thing um, would be things like FIP, feline infectious peritonitis. Yes. A horrible disease that attacks young cats. And again, yes. we have no treatment. There's a lot of great research being done, and they've made some great strides lately, thanks to things like the BRIA Fund that really has concentrated on raising funds to try to find the cure for this disease. Do you, so we're hoping in the very near future we'll have some answers. Do you feel that in the same way that cats are sadly a kind of second-class pet citizen that in the research field, cancer and other areas, that the cat's needs are less addressed and less focused on? And is it because Absolutely. cats are less valued or is it because their illness occurs in a lower percentage in the population than dogs' cancers, for example? I think it's because that they were always that kind of secondary pet for a long period of time. But now our cats are finally moving into that realm of the dog world that they are truly members of the family. And so more and more things are being done. There is the, there exists the WIN Foundation, W-I-N-N, yes. which is devoted exclusively to researching feline diseases, and that's excellent. Morris Animal Foundation also has many research projects that are benefiting cats. But unfortunately, if you look at horses, dogs, even if you group wildlife all together, many times our cats are last when it comes to what's being devoted to finding answers for their diseases. 
So we're, we travel to the um, American Association of Feline Practitioners meeting every year, and we have our booth there, our Art for Cats Egg booth, and we sell all our cat-related items. And so you have all the cat people there, so we have a really good time. But um, people there understand what we're trying to do. So it's, it's a really beneficial thing, I think, at this point to expand that, and that's what we're trying to do. We started a cat festival in New Orleans, and I am so happy to see the New York Film Festival coming on. I just really love the idea of that. And what you directed it to do really show that bond between cats and people. And their, and their value to society, even the cats that aren't personally owned. Yeah, the New York Cat Film Festival has got to come to New Orleans, and we certainly have to have art for cat's sake as part of it. it you know, I felt a little guilty, like, uh, you know, I'm supposed to like cats and dogs equally. And here I am. That's the third annual dog film festival coming up. And I really didn't, I'm in total ignorance. I didn't believe there was a way that people could make enough movies about cats to fill a film festival. Well, my, my cart is overflowing. The number of films and the passion behind them and the international quality and the sociopolitical and the funny narrative ones that are a hoot and a half. And you think, well, how did they get the cats to act? Well, we all know cats. They don't have to act. They just have to be just being there. And they've already, you know, they own the screen. So it, it is really exciting. And I and I definitely want to offer to have art for cats sake personally, physically there at any theater where the New York Cat Film Festival is, but I'll also add it onto the website so that when people are there looking at, you know, where the films might be and what they are, they can see some of your beautiful uh, art-inspired cat products and jewelry and, and buy them. But do you raise a lot of money when you go to the expense and trouble of going to the feline practitioner convention, or would you be going anyway as a kitty-only vet? Um, Yes and no. I would be going normally anyway, just for the continuing education, but usually our booth is so swamped, I end up having to get my continuing education elsewhere. (laughs) In fact, I just came back from a a feline seminar at Texas A&M because of that, because we're usually so swamped in the booth that I'm not able to get to class much. But yes, and we would love for you to end up here in New Orleans at some point in time. We're going to work hard to see that that happens. But, you know, it is... When I first started many years ago in one of our local associations, we decided to have a hero pet of the year, you know, with our veterinary association. And, you know, I kind of thought the same thing. Well, it'll mostly be dog stuff, maybe a, you right. know, a therapy horse or two right, you know, or something. Right. But we had entries from the cat people, too. In fact, one of my even clients, one of my clients even told me that her cat had saved her life and her daughter's life because the cat kept running up and down the stairs in the middle of the night and waking them up and just disturbing them until finally she got up and went to her daughter's room and the gas was on. And when she opened the door to her daughter's room, she realized how much trouble that she was in. So they were able to, um, yeah, they were able to be saved because of that. So a rescue kitty. I can't believe it. A kitty who's a rescuer. Exactly. First responder. Kind of like, um, Oscar the blind cat, you know, his story whenever yes, he yes. saves his owner from the guy who's broken into her apartment. Yes, I just love stories like that. So I think there's plenty of them out there. Yes. 
Well, I think it's great that you do have that kind of response to your wares. And we certainly know from the success of the Cat Video Festival, which made the rounds for a couple of years and did sell out business. And it was really just videos off of the Internet, which is not of interest to me. I, I personally want things of more substance and more of an intention in the making of them. But the fact that yes. people love cats. I think that's, yes, really I think that's a great come. thing. Right. I think that what you're doing is a whole different take on it. And I think that that's fabulous. You know, I think there's, you know, everyone enjoys it's Like I always say, the dog people go to the dog park, the cat people watch funny cat videos. Yes, so true. we enjoy sharing that, but this is a whole different genre. And I think it's fantastic. And you asked me if we make very much money. We were able last year to donate $2,500 at the end of our, um, our session there in uh, San Diego with the Art for Cat's Sake booth to the Wynn Foundation, nice. and so that that has been very helpful, and we're able to do it because we do little things all during the year as well, too, So, and that's not a tremendous amount of money, but for as little as $250, you can fund part of a research project. That's right. You know, the Wynn Foundation gets a lot of requests, and they are not able to fund them all, so they will let you partially sponsor something, and at the same time, then they take that money and put it to other projects. So, yeah, every little bit counts is what we say. And over the years, you know, we raised a good deal of money. And the putting on a festival is fun. It's a lot of work, but it's fun, too. And I just enjoy all the cat people who say, oh, please do it again next year. You know, exactly. so they're having a good time, too. And we've raised awareness as well as anything else. Which is really part of the story. I mean, that's what I was saying about the Cat Film Festival and the Cat Video Festival, it's you know, which has now uh, fallen away, that people with cats really want to come out. They really want to be heard and seen, and they love to donate to something that's going to make life better for their cats and get a cat pin or, or you know, bracelet or earrings and some something else. In, yes, in the, in the bonnet. Come on out. <laughs> exactly. There's a, a kind of joyfulness that they're finally allowed to leave their house. The cat people. Hello, yes. we've been here all this time. Just exactly. for a couple of minutes, tell me about the mobile clinic and how that works. Oh, essentially, I had a cat dog, whatever you have as a pet clinic for many, many years. And then in 1990, I also opened a second hospital, and that was a feline only hospital. So I ran this two for a while. And then about year 2000, I sold the um cat and dog hospital and just continued on with the feline hospital. And then a couple of years back, I finally realized time was marching on here. And I had decided that I would sell my hospital to my associate and just kind of retire. Well, as the more I thought about it, after I sold my <laughs> clinic, I was like, wait, I don't really want to stop. You know, it's like, I miss my job. Wait a minute. Where so, are those cats? Exactly. Wait, wait. And so it just so happened at the very same time, a dear friend of mine had a mobile clinic that he was putting up for sale. And I didn't even realize and just happened to see it in one of our newsletters. I'll and I'm like, darned. well, that would be great. So it's an older unit, but it's very, um, it's in very good shape and it serves our purpose perfectly. It's got a lovely exam room. We have shelves and cabinets for everything that we need. There's even a little surgical area. Wow. I only do minor procedures like that because I'm so used to working out of a big hospital. It makes yes. me a little, it, yeah, it puts me a little back to yeah. think about, yeah, just to think about it. But essentially, um, we've been able to go to the kitties' homes, and sometimes I feel like with house call practice, 
it can also seem to the cat like home invasion if you actually go yes. into their home. That's right. But That's a good it point. depends on the owner and what they want. But for the most part, what we do is just a very short trip from their home right out to the clinic, and we put them on a lovely um, warm towel and sit there and just talk to them gently and let them accommodate, and then we do what we need to do for them, and then they go right back home. So they don't have that horrible car ride that most yes, kitties they just get they just get carried down to the curb, basically. Exactly. We have a you know a good sized carrier, so they don't feel cramped, and we just just slide them in and bring them on out, and it seems to work out really really well. Well, it's really nice that you can still keep your your hands in in the in the work of of looking after kitties because it it's such a rare privilege for cats to not have to have a doctor who smells of dog and a space that smells of dog. It's bad enough, you know, to to have to leave home, but then to have something yes. canine going yes. is just too rude. Not to have it, it, right, it <laughs> exactly. has insult to injury. Yes, you're right. You're exactly right because we love dogs as well too. But that's one of the things that unfortunately many people let their dog run right up to the cat carrier and put their against it. And the poor cat's like, what is happening? Especially if they've not lived in a home with dogs before. So it can be really stressful. And that's one reason I might add the um, the Feline Practitioners Association is stressing to all clinics to try to adopt some of the cat-friendly practices. Yes. And that's one of the things, you know, a separate little area in the exam room. Right get the cat away from the big busy waiting room as quickly as possible. Lots of things that you can do. But I think the, the mobile clinic to me actually makes that much, much easier than, and since we are an all cats mobile clinic, we only see cats in here. That makes a big difference for them as well too, I think. Well, I think it's terrific. I'm thrilled that you had a failed retirement. That's really good news. Can you tell people how to look at the beautiful things you have on Art for Cat's Sake? Because they can buy online too, right? Yes, they can. Although tell them, please don't give up on us. They go today and they don't see, you know, what they're looking for because we're in the process of working through this with a new, um, a oh, new nice. website person. So we will have lots of things on sale for them very, very shortly. I just have in a whole bunch of new stuff that we're going to have out very, very shortly. They'll probably only just be T-shirts right now. Doesn't but, matter. Um, every uh, the time, the time always changes when the when the show's broadcast. Yeah. When somebody listens well, to the podcast, could be months in oh, advance. Oh, great! That's fabulous. so. They just go to art. They just go to no, art they for go cat's to, sake. Right, and that's just right, just as it sounds. Art for cats, and that's plural, and then yep. sake s a k e dot org. This and is we'll great, also Karen. have an Etsy store. Yes. Wonderful. And wonderful, wonderful. Yes. We've run out of time. I can't wait to see you in New Orleans. We're going to have so much fun. I'm looking forward to it as well, Jason. Me Thank too. You so Keep much. up the great work. Bye-bye. Thank you all for listening. Kiss those kitties. Get them some kind of feline-themed jewelry or art. And hug your pooches, of course. Look them in the eye and tell them thank you. We will talk again next week. Bye for now. <laughs>